the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off. Download the app. Tell them which teams and leagues you prefer the most. You get a personalized feed every day of exactly what you're looking for. Ad-free content full. I'm looking at it right now. Bill Shea's got a great piece discussing the attendance or lack thereof attendance in the NFL and how much it's impacting revenue. He's projecting about 2.7 billion right now and rising, of course. So uh, look, there's lots of sports business going on right now. The athletics all over it and uh, we're in tune with it as well. You can see many of these articles on spottrack.com when you're looking at team and player pages. We love the synergy. It's worked out well for us. I love clicking on, on these things when I'm looking at a specific player to get more in depth that's what The Athletic is all about. Again, theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. Happy Thursday morning. My name is Mike Giannetti. I put a poll out about an hour ago, Scott. Let's bring you in here. I'm going to open with this. As 3,000 people have already answered this question, I'm going to make you answer this question, Scott Allen. What happens first? A president is elected. The NBA season starts. A major league baseball free agent actually signs a contract or Adam Gase is fired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What constitutes the NBA season beginning them voting today and it going into effect immediately or leave it to you, leave it to you to try to dive deeper on this thing. Uh, No, (laughs) obviously I'm just being sarcastic. Look at the, you know, December 22nd is the projected date. I think you and I both think that's going to happen now. So I don't think the presidency waits that long. But. No, I don't either. Um, I, I'll go. I'll go. President is elected. What's second? Um, MLB free agent signs. I'm then, not sure. And, and then NBA, and I think Adam Gase. I, he, here's my thought: If you're the Jets, you just keep your coach and you keep. Keep losing, baby. You keep losing. We're going to talk about I, it. I ne- Don't worry. <laughs> I, I, I never understood why, like, Atlanta, if if you're that bad, just keep the coach for the remainder of the year. I know you want a scapegoat, but yeah. just keep the coach for the remainder of the year and then if, and let him go at the end. And it is what it is, and you've got a number one draft pick or number two, and, yep. and you go from there. So I, I'm going to say Gase is uh, – he's going to be there. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but um, – if it's, I'll go president number one. If it's the NBA being, uh, you know, they're voting today and they everything goes as uh, is projected, then um, I think that's going to happen before the. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's have a bounce around show a little bit here, where we kind of hit all the sports because there really is a lot going on. And rather than have like a thirty-minute feature on something, I'd rather kind of hit as much as we can. You, you expect the nba players association michelle roberts and and, you know the lebrons of the world to accept this deal and it's just about the money they don't want to play in december but they have to right is that is that what's going on here yeah it sounds about right sounds like it's either december 22nd or january 18th and if they go january 18th then they're going to lose somewhere between 500 million and 1 billion dollars from the projections that i've read which is a, a ton of money, especially when your salary cap and luxury tax and all that is based on that income of revenue. 
so the owners want to play as soon as possible. The players are pushing back because of the quick turnaround. And, and like we talked about on, you know, last week or last episode, you know, uh, there's a handful of teams that just finished, but there is the majority of the teams that have time off. So it's more of, yeah, the Warriors are fresh. (laughs) (laughs) The Warriors and Cleveland and you name it. Um, And and they've had some mini camps and whatnot, but it's more about the, the extreme turnaround of you have a draft, you have free agency, you have to get these guys, you know, quarantined for a certain amount of time before they can be in those camps. So there's a lot of logistics within you know, 30 days, if it signs today, you know, you have a, essentially a month and a half before the season starts. So you to have draft, to have a free agency to get a preseason yeah, in whatever. Yeah. Everything is going to be extremely accelerated on top of, yeah. Okay. If they uh, approve that it's going to be say December 22nd, there's other aspects that have to get figured out of these trade exceptions. When do those expire that have to get shifted guaranteed dates for all these guys that had guaranteed dates in July and into August. Um, yeah. You have other, other aspects that have to get negotiated and, and shifted accordingly. And, you know, they're going to have to put in the extra hours to figure that out. If they're saying the, drop dead date of starting is December 22nd because you know some of these guys that have non-guaranteeds are based on the first regular season game so if whether it's December 22nd or January 18th matters to some players so it, it it's an extreme um hyper speed if they say yes let's go you know it's going to be it's going to be fast Okay, we'll get back to basketball. I want, although I do want to say this, you know, all of these reports that the, that the players aren't happy with the start date were confirmed. I don't know if you saw LeBron's quote from the shop. Did you see this? I did not. <laughs> I, I'm I'm cherry picking the whole first half of the season. That's what I've got AD for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so, we assume that. We we talked I don't think about we're gonna see too much LeBron. You might see LeBron Christmas Day, and then maybe not until like Martin Luther King Day. So. <laughs> Uh, which you might be able to understand, but playing is important. Getting it on, getting the games on TV makes a lot of money. And you're, you're right. Uh, everything I've read also says about 500 million saved to play 72 over 50. Just real quick before we move on, you know, 72 isn't 82. Does that mean salaries are going to be reduced here? Yeah, they would. They would be based um, a percentage based on if it's 72 out of the 82 or 50 out of the 82. So it would affect. And then on top of it, that doesn't even include the escrow that would be pulled out. So, you know, I'm, I've been seeing different numbers being floated out there between 18% or 40% or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, that's just a starting of games reduced just as if it was a lockout. All right. You and I talk a lot, not just at work and on the show, but also offline. And you, uh, you reminded me or told me for the first time this week, was it Tuesday or Monday? I don't even know. Monday, I believe. Hey, MLB network has the MLB award finalists on. That's what you sent to me on Monday at 4 PM. And I said, what? (laughs) Because it was Monday at 4 PM (laughs) or whatever it was. Yeah. And 
we both turned it on and we both watched and we realized, hey, this isn't even the award ceremony. This is just them telling us who's the top three in each award, which made it even worse. It was. I, I don't like to come on these shows and and destroy things or destroy people individually, but this is awful. So not only is the World Series already done, and and we're looking at regular season baseball awards on a Monday at 4 p.m. that nobody knows about, nobody's watching, except for you and I. But now, when are the actual award ceremonies? When, when are we actually going to find about the awards? November 12th. <laughs> Which is what day? 10 days after it was what day of the, the week? finalist. Oh, what? A Thursday, I think. What time? I don't know, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Yeah, right, exactly. And what, what else is on <laughs> Thursday nights about 8 o'clock? The NFL. NFL. So not only has the regular season been done for six weeks, and they're giving out regular season awards on November 12th, but it's also an NFL Thursday night game, which no one's watching anything on the MLB network at all because NFL football is on and NFL is king, runs, reigns supreme, always will. We have to talk about this. Because you we can't do. have a year-long discussion if you're Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball trying to fix your brand, trying to market your, your product, publicly <laughs> calling out Mike Trout for not being a good enough superstar in terms of marketing and you know charisma and personality, but then also doing something like this. This is something people would actually care about if it was treated properly. Because, oh, by the way, Mike Trout's not winning the MVP. That's actually kind of big news. Right? There's going to be a new MVP in the American League. The NL MVP is actually pretty interesting. Both of the Cy Youngs are pretty darn interesting. This is like the one draw you have right now. How, why are you throwing it in the middle of the week on, at, at 6 p.m.? What are you doing with this? You know, Number one, it's probably not even worth being a TV show anymore, but you've got the network, so do it. But this should be, this should be a social media haven, like all the other ones are. I mean, the NHL goes to Vegas, rolls out a red carpet for their awards. They have like a country music night for their awards ceremony. It's it's really impressive and neat. And, you know, for even people who don't watch hockey, you kind of get a glimpse of that. You see the highlights of it because it's really well done. And baseball throws theirs on a Thursday night opposite an NFL football game. I don't even, what game is it? Is it a great game? Um, I don't even know. But to, to make things even worse, I, I, I found the award schedule. It starts at 6 p.m., but to make things even worse, it's not all on Thursday. Monday is Rookies of the Year. Tuesday is Managers of the Year. Wednesday is Cy Youngs. And Thursday is MVPs. So they're stretching this over four days. They want to make sure it gets into the newspaper by 5 p.m., right? So it's in your mailbox? Yeah, the sarcasm is thick there. It's Titans-Colts. It's Titans-Colts that Thursday. Good enough game. Maybe. Maybe your maybe your poll should have been what happens first, president is elected or the MLB awards are finally given out from last season. I gave you this idea. I think it's a good one. I think it holds up. I do like this that they give a different award out at different times because you can highlight and, and maybe have a discussion about it a little bit more. You know, like manager of the year. Let's talk about the two guys a little bit um, and, and not just move on to the next award, kind of like the Oscars would be. But it is a regular season award. We're way too far away from the regular season now to be talking about this. I mean, who even remembers, you know? All, all we're thinking about is the Dodgers winning and Randy Rosarena's unbelievable postseason, none of which has any impact on these awards. It doesn't even account. It's only the regular season. So 
you know, either do it immediately after the regular season, which is something you brought up and, and a lot of people have brought up, or what I said was build it into game one of the world series. So after every inning, they unleash a new award, not a big ceremony, just have Joe Buck say something, Joe Buck and John Smoltz say something. Hey, you know, another award to give away here. It's going to be the NL manager of the year that they break to a little video clip, you know, whatever, but we're watching, we're all watching game one of the world series. I mean, it's, it's the only thing that, that they have going for them right now. So uh, something like that, they got to fix that up. It's just another example though, Scott, of the major league baseball, just getting behind the times, right? Yeah, it is. And what was even worse in watching it with the finalists is they spent probably half the broadcast trying to explain why these awards are being handed out now, as opposed to uh, at the end of the regular season. And on top of it, they were trying to explain that these awards are strictly regular season yeah. uh, awards and why it doesn't include certain managers or certain players that had been so good in the postseason. When you have to spend two segments on a broadcast. They knew what they were doing was wrong. This. That's why you're saying yes. that. They knew they, they did. didn't belong there. And Correct. the fact that they had to try to educate people on it is just the worst, but here we are. So, um, so there's one thing that has to get fixed and that's an easy fix. So fix it major league baseball. I'm going to put you on the spot because I've been doing a lot of reading about this because we did have kind of a sandbox this year with major league baseball, something you called for early. A lot of it came to fruition and I don't think it, too much of it was pretty bad. You know, the, the universal DH, the extra innings rule, the seven game double headers on Sundays, you know, there was kind of a lot to like. Some of it was kind of, you know, not so great. There's a lot of important people in baseball trying to assess what 2020 was and what can stick and how we can keep this thing going forward, even though we all kind of know there's an ine inevitable strike coming in 18 months. Um, but look, that's, you know, the strike isn't going to be a bad thing if they can get some of these things fixed during that strike. So it's time to start talking about this stuff right now. Um, to me, the biggest one, the biggest challenge of the sandbox entities is the seven game doubleheader because, or seven inning doubleheaders on Sunday, because that is a legitimate alteration of the game itself. And it's going to affect statistics. It's going to directly affect statistics. Yeah, well, if there, if there's a two game set where you're only playing X innings versus, you know, you're leaving out some opportunities in terms of at bats and things like that. So, and honestly, where it matters most is like a reliever because a lot of these relievers have incentives built in for appearances, innings pitched, all those stuff. You know, those are the deep dive stuff that, that I deal with on a daily basis that I see guys getting screwed left and right. There's a lot of kind of gerrymandering that goes on at the end of regular seasons. So that player X doesn't hit a certain threshold. You know, they, they'll pay him 250, but not 500,000 by keeping him in the bullpen for a couple of weeks. So you know, that's going to affect some contractual incentives and things like that. If you start to reduce innings, however, they're talking pitch clock, they're talking, you know, trying to get these games under three hours. And I don't think anybody of us can even gawk at that anymore. You know, you know, the traditionalists that said, no, no, baseball has got to be fluid. It's got to be what it is, what it is. There's just too many eyeballs going away. You know, attention span is the buzz term everywhere but certainly with baseball nobody wants to sit there nobody can physically sit there anymore for four and a half hours and watch a full game um so 
but let's start with that. I mean, does the do the double headers because the double headers kind of do have that old school draw to it. You know, the Sunday double headers mm-hmm. was what everybody grew up with back in the day. That was part of baseball. It was a family event. You brought the whole family on Sunday. You stayed for a long day, you know, had a bunch of beers and hot dogs, things like that. So you're kind of getting both sides of the coin there. You're getting an old school entity in the Sunday doubleheader, but you're reducing it down to seven seven innings. Are you on board with this or is this too much of a risk, too much of a change? I, I like it personally. Yeah. From a, from a stats standpoint, it's going to be interesting how they uh, measure. Uh, so say Clayton Kershaw pitches game one and it's only a seven inning stint and he goes all seven. Is that considered a complete game, even though it's not nine innings or, you know, in that aspect too, if he is able to go a complete game, they're not having to go into the bullpen and you're extending your bullpen to go into potentially the next game or, you know, that night game for the double header. So from a stat standpoint, yeah, some things are going to have to be tweaked because you're dealing, and it happened obviously with this last season where you're dealing with seven games versus, or seven innings versus nine innings. I think it's good for the game from the standpoint of it's a shorter time. If someone just wants to go for game one or game two, you're not having to sit there for, like you said, four, four and a half hours. You can go and probably be done in three, especially for that younger crowd that they're they're trying to get to want to watch the games and come to the games. Anything that can make it a little bit more exciting is going to help the game for sure. Um, it, it, but the days of, you know, a dad bringing a young kid and being yeah. there for four and a half hours just doesn't work anymore. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm putting my stat head on. I mean, you, you and I do quite a lot of that. I'm thinking about Jacob DeGrom starting game one of a Sunday doubleheader, a seven-inning Sunday doubleheader. If he goes seven, is that a CG? Or are they going to have to create a new stat? Right, that's what I mean. It, is it going to have to be like a, like a complete game minus versus a complete game <laughs> because it's only seven innings? Right, and that's what I was saying with Kershaw. How are the powers that be that deal with stats going to uh, calculate and, and designate certain stats that happen. Um, I mean, even, even ERA, we, it's based on nine innings. So are you going to have ERA seven or it's out of seven, or are we going to shift what an ERA actually means? And, and subsequently, depending on how the, the powers that be that deal with the stats officially, that's going to cause issues with the gambling and DFS because if a pitcher goes seven innings and it's counted as a complete game as opposed to on a Monday, a complete game having to be nine innings, that's way different when you're dealing with DFS and any right. betting. And that Is a quality start so- just three and a half now, you know, versus five and a half? Um, right. Yeah. But let's take the flip side. We started this as a marketing conversation. Don't you think it's – see, I think complete games are sexy, marketable. I, think I would so sign too. up for a complete game, a D- Jacob DeGrom complete game on a Sunday afternoon. I'd sign up for that every time. That's watchable to me. Um, you know, as much as three, four, nine, any home runs are watchable, of course. But th- 
to me, this is the fine line, but it's, I think we're at a point now where it has to be addressed or at least conversed, especially if we're going to have a lockout and there's going to be some major back and forth. It's the game itself that has to change. You know, I mean, they can, Mm -hmm. they can do these little gimmicky things and they are band-aids and maybe they're more long-term band-aids, but, and they will work to some degree. I mean, I don't even want to go down the rest of the rabbit hole. I assume you think the extra innings situation is good, right? I do. Truncate the games, and it's crazy interesting. It's like the penalty shots in soccer yep. or, or, or hockey. Yes, we all know it's gimmicky. We can, we can, we can all agree that it's cheesy. Um, maybe the compromise with that is instead of the 10th inning, that we do it in the 12th inning, you know? Yeah. Ask for 20 minutes. Give, give teams a chance to win outright first. Um, who knows? But I think hockey basically did that, right? They're, they have a five-minute actual overtime with less players. With three on three. Yeah, yeah, three on three. So there you go. So maybe maybe baseball finds a compromise as well. But I think, again, gimmicky, but it worked. <clears throat> but it's the gameplay, right? I, I think the real conversations to have are, because this is what I think, like, it, it, I'm not getting down the politics rabbit hole here, but to some degree, it's just the generation we're in and the, the kind of people that we are, there is a point where strategy and analytics goes way too far. And I think baseball mm-hmm. has, has gone way past that point. And I, and I start immediately with the shift. Um, it's To me, it's the most interesting conversation to have because it is just 100% strategy. It is 100%. We have done all the homework possible on this individual hitter against this individual pitcher in this, in this current weather structure in this current stadium, I mean, it is just full of data and we are putting our third baseman here and our left fielder here. And it's, it's awesome on its own, but it is terrible to watch. It just is. I love baseball more than anything. It is awful to watch. And I just think that's got to go away. I think it's got to go away. I think it's an easy thing to do. Is it the right thing to do? Probably not because you're, you're taking some of the intelligence away from, you know, front offices, managers, players, you're basically limiting their ability to be overly intelligent with how they play the game. But again, I think we're past the point of what's correct versus what works. So are you, what works is fans in the seats and eyeballs on the TV screens or, you know, devices. So we, at some point you got to give, and I think the shift is where we have to start giving. Yeah. So are, are you, would you be against, you know, some teams that play four outfielders instead of three because of a certain player who hits deep outfield fly balls? Are, I think it was Buck Showalter I was watching and I, and I, it might've been one of the playoff games. I believe it was Buck Showalter, who's of course a little bit more old school in his approach, uh, especially in terms of his managing style. He said, you know, you've got to have two infielders on each side of second base at all times. And all four of those infielders have to have at least one foot on the dirt at the time of the pitch. Mm. So you can't have the second baseman go play short right field. You can't have the shortstop out in left field. You can't have the left fielder inside of the infield by any means. Um, Look, I'm not totally sold on this conversation because I do love how much work and effort has gone into the education and research of, you know, finding out a a hitter's strength and weaknesses and how you can take away some of their ability to hit, but hitting, hitting is interesting. Hitting is watchable. Okay. Watching a guy smash a, a line drive or a ground ball 
that should be through the infield go to the right fielder who's playing left second base, right? Is just frustrating as hell. It just is. It's terrible. That should be a great hit. You know, Freddie Freeman should have that hit. He has earned the right. He has put in 1 million hours in the batting cage to earn that hit. That's a hit in the batting cage every damn time. Why can't it be a hit in, on the major league level? It's because analytics have taken away his ability to have that hit. That's going too far. And by the way, and, and we don't have to go too far down, I feel the same way about robotic umpire, umpires. I understand that the strikes and balls would be, would be a lot more consistent. I, I understand that. That's why computers were built in the first place, for efficiency and consistency. But I don't want that. I, I want, you know, Mike Clevenger's weird pitching style to throw an umpire off every now and then. Or the fact that, you know, Blake Snell drops down three quarters sometimes because all Tampa Bay pitchers have been taught to go on different ang arm angles to throw off the way that a slider looks from his arm versus the way a slider looks out of DeGrom's arm. That's interesting. And it's interesting to the, to the viewer. And it's interesting when John Smoltz can bring that up and say, hey, this is a little bit different. And, you know, Blake Snell's strike zone may be a little different than Clayton Kershaw's strike zone. That's cool. And it's got to stay that way. I don't, I don't want the end result of a pitch to be robotically, uh, you know, determined every single time. That's boring. It's monotone. It's bad TV. It's bad for everybody except for the guys who want perfection. And that's stupid to me. So maybe I'm going off on a bad tangent here, but I feel to, to me, to me, the, the shift, which is trying to be perfect fielders is the same conversation as robotic umpires trying to get balls and strike perfect. You just don't need it. It takes away from the viewing experience. How far off am I here? All right. Robotic umpires, I agree. I, I, I think having the umpire call however they see it is a human element and it's been with us forever. And once you get in, and we've been, you and I offline have been down this road with the robotic umps of how are they going to designate where the yeah. strike zone is for Altuve versus Aaron Judge? And are they going to be able to, you know, scrunch their body closer together in practice if they're. If I teach they're my daughter to do that in softball though. Get low. But, but what I'm saying is, you know, there's going to be a way to work around robotic umpires just as there is a way based on actual umpires because pitchers know this this umpire favors down in a way or up in a way or wherever it may be. I mean, when we were at Sloan five, six years ago, we, we sat in on a thing where they had heat maps of the umpires where who yeah. favored balls and strikes and, and differently. So the, the umpire part, I'd rather keep the umpires in there instead of having the you know what robots. else, Scott? You know what else? You got a manager who's been barking at the umpire for three innings. <laughs> yes. I want that. I want that umpire to be pissed off and make some calls Dude. accordingly. I, I want yep. that to be part of the game. And it should be. You, you can't piss off a computer. Mm -mm. <laughs> no. Um, but but as far as because guess shift... what? That's also good TV. That's also good that TV is. to see oh, an umpire looking and see. In fact, we don't we want microphones on all these players? Isn't that what people are actually begging for? Is yeah, they to are. be able to hear everything that's going on because that's the most interesting thing ever. That's why Hard Knocks gets millions of viewers for the from an NFL perspective. 
So to me, putting robots there is going the complete opposite direction. You're taking away all the confrontation, all of it. So I, there's a lot of reasons, but to me, it, it's it's trying to be too perfect. Well, from going going back to your shift conversation or yeah. rant. You disagree on me here? I, I am. I'm going to disagree with you because I think teams that have done their homework to know to shift on that player is no different than an NFL team figuring out what wide receiver routes or what running routes or the defense on the flip side, knowing that there's a tell and they're going to be going up the A gap or the B gap or wherever they're going to go. Those defenses are doing the exact same thing that's happening in baseball. And it's for the player to have to shift their body enough to go the opposite way of that shift. I think it's a give and take, uh, whether you want to call it like a chess match, you know, they're, they're both doing their homework. So hold on, let me chime in. I'm glad you made this comparison. Let me chime in here because there is a, there is a possibility that we're a year away from football getting down into a bad place because of the changes they've made. Now they've made changes, right? The, the, the reviews, the pass interference calls, the, the, the no hand checking, all that stuff. What you're starting to see more and more of, and I bet we see it more and more with these young, young kids as they're being instructed in college to do so, is just throw the damn ball deep and put it in the eyes of, of, of the line judges and, right. and the backfield judges and let the flags come out. Because guess what? That's a 70-yard that's 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 flag. That's a 70-yard flag, first and goal, let's go play football and win games. That's exactly where baseball is right now. Because you've taken away Freddie Freeman's base hit through the middle because there's a freaking third baseman standing on second base waiting for that ground ball. All these guys can do is try to hit home runs or strike out. That's why the game changed because it makes no sense to try to hit that C and I single anymore because a, the shifts are taking it away and B math has told us that four bases are more than one, (laughs) believe it or not. So yeah, but, but that's, that's, it's a terrible watch seeing 75% of batters strike out and 25% of batters hit home runs is fun for, you know, the Instagram feed the next day, but it sucks for the, the people watching for three and a half hours. Don't you think football's getting there? If you take away a running game and, and Ryan Tannehill can't throw eight out eight, eight yard outs consistently because he's not that good of a quarterback, he's got to throw the ball deep all the time and hope for flags and flags win them games. There's teams that are doing this right now that are winning because of, of the referees. I, we don't want that anywhere in sports. That's that's a terrible yeah, way to watch sports. But 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 doesn't it come back on the batter to have to try to change their stance or angle as they're coming through the strike zone to angle the ball in a different you area? You play baseball. It, if there's five it, infielders, you have almost no chance of getting one through. Yeah, but this is what batting practice is for. Instead of trying to do batting practice, just hit the ball as far as you can and hit a home run in batting practice – you should be trying to hit all over the field because that, that's part of their job. That's what they need to do. They need to. Yeah, but you got to understand, Scott, they're being told by the computer geeks upstairs in the stadium, stop swinging for singles. Don't even try. These are the two pitches he throws. He throws it 60% of the time on the first pitch. He throws this 60% of the time on the second pitch. Sit on those pitches and try to hit him out of the freaking but, ballpark. That's what they're being well, told. They are, but that's on those computer geeks and those, you know, the analytics team on that team to say, all right, Freddie, they're going to shift on you. 
you need to do this because this works 40% of the time or 50% of the time. I think it's a give and take on both sides. If the, if the offensive side of the ball for, for major league baseball, they're not doing the analytic homework just as they are as much on the defensive side, then that's the flaw on the team itself. Because if they're seeing a shift uh, to the first base side, and you know you can hit it down the third base line as a single or and get a double as opposed to trying to crush it and get a home run where your percentage is much lower, then at least you have a, a, a runner on first or second, whereas if you hit a home run, you, you hit it out into the outfield and you didn't or you hit it into that shift, that's, that's on the analytics team for the offensive side of the ball and that I don't think we hear enough of. We hear more of with the shift or putting four outfielders or whatever it may be, or the analytics with the pitchers. But I think it also has to be talked about with the analytics of the batters themselves and having to make the adjustments in game and know, all right, I'm, a, I'm against this pitcher. The shift happened, so I need to do this. I need to change my stance. That's where I'm at. Which team had the most home runs in the regular season in 20, in 2020? Um, I don't know what the Dodgers the Dodgers, which team had the most strikeouts in the regular <laughs> season in 2020, the Dodgers, the Rays by over oh. 40. Wow. Your, your two world series teams had the most home runs and the most strikeouts in, in the regular season, respectively. That's the only math I need to see. Okay. That's it. And it sucks. It, it sucks. Does. And you're right you know, we need better hitters and more efficient hitting to beat the shift. Yeah, I lo- or yeah, we can just take I, the I, damn I'm... shift away and let, yeah. some, and let some balls get through the infield and let some stolen bases happen. Um, they, I think the market, the marketing idea that it's home runs or nothing that people want to see is overplayed. It, it's, it's crazily overplayed because people that are watching baseball love the randomness and the infrequency of home runs. It should be like a unicorn, right. not the, not the, the most common thing in the game. You know, I mean, stealing home in the world series, that was like, that was, that was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. It wasn't a home run. There was nothing about it. It was unique. The uniqueness is what made it cool. So, well, the, uh, the other thing like is they're going the wrong way. Yeah, I, I like the small ball. I like seeing the steals. You know, I think it's awesome that in, in the World Series, Taco Bell does their steals and you get their the free taco. But, you know. Don't get me started. I, I love seeing steals during during a, an actual regular season game because, you know, and that's going by the wayside because of the analytics. But In-game strategy. Right. In-game yeah. strategy. Even if it's small ball, you get a guy on. I, I would love to see more of that. Um, because the strategy, it, it just adds that element. Now I get shifting is a strategy and I'm going to still say that the, the batter has to adjust accordingly if that happens, but I agree. Home runs used to be that unicorn, as you say, I we, we grew up in, in high school it, watching the home run race and it was awesome waking up and seeing on sports center if they got it and mm-hmm. you know it was a it was a must see entity and baseball is missing that you know magical element right now 
to, to I mean, you can literally be sitting in the stands with your beer, looking at your phone the whole time and just wait until you hear that crack of the bat. We all know what it sounds like when a home runs hit, but does anything else during the game even matter? <laughs> That's where I feel like the game has gotten to because you're not seeing the guy in first take an eight foot lead and, you know, get in that in the pitcher's head. That stuff's not even happening anymore. So I do think they have to recorrect, you know, a little bit of what's happening. Hopefully that that's something that comes up. All right. Anything else with baseball? Uh, you know, you know, the DH, I, I'm indifferent. I don't really care. It's neat seeing pitchers hit sometimes. Sometimes it's annoying. Um, you know, I, I know from a fantasy perspective and from an injury perspective, there's a lot of reasons not to have pitchers hitting anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I've seen, in fact, I'm reading an article on ESPN right now, Scott, where there was a, a current manager, anonymous, of course, basically said, I'm good on seven inning doubleheaders. I'm good on 154 as the max regular season schedule. I'm good on expanded playoffs. I'm good on on the uh, runner on second in extra innings, but let's do it in the 12th. There you go. I just said, uh, let's do it on the 12th inning, not the 10th. So there you go. Already somebody on my side. Um, and the 20 second pitch clock. Let's get it in. Yes. This is, a, this is the last thing I want to talk about because he actually says this. I, don't, I wish I knew who this manager was. This is outstanding. He thinks one of the things that we're taking, we should take away from this bubble situation is a neutral site World Series. Let's <laughs> turn it into the Super Bowl. Let's yep. give it a place. Let's make it a party. Let's give the city uh, you know, a, a yeah, big kind of a welcoming. That. And instead of, because this is the big thing, and we'll, we'll finish on this, Scott. Baseball's regional now. If you didn't have the Nationals in your neck of the woods, would you even watch? You're not watching the Orioles. I know that for sure. But, you know, would you even watch on a regular basis? I'm not sure you would. You know, I I, I only like the Mets because I grew up watching the Mets for some ridiculous reason. I'm not, I, I live eight hours away from the Mets. So, you know, they wouldn't be a, a regional team to me. Maybe I'm the Blue Jays. I'm a couple hours away from the Blue Jays here. But if you live X hours away from a ball team, you're probably not following that ball team. So we get ourselves all the way through 162 games, all the way through seven, seven game series in the playoffs. We get ourselves to the World Series. And what do we do? We still have it regionalized. We still have Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. and, you know, the Astrodome and all these things. I, I, I completely agree with this. That let's, let's make it an annual different, different location. And let's, uh, you know, let's market the hell out of one city as the World Series city of the year. We do it with the All-Star game, which nobody cares about. Right. Why don't we do it with the World Series? Yeah, and the fact that you would have, you could have, you know, the back-to-back games, you could yeah. stretch it for a, a week and a half or whatever it may be to have a day off. But think of the amount of people that are going to travel, that are going to bring money into that city for hotels and food and, you know, concessions. You no, know, by the way, how about we have the awards ceremony? <laughs> right. And maybe some old, uh, you know, some, his, some old-time uh, Hall of Famers who played in that city, you know? If you're in Baltimore, Frank Robinson, whatever it's going to be, they announce the awards. Yeah. You got to show the whole thing. Yep. Showcase it. I think we just fixed baseball in 25 minutes. That's what we did. All right. Let's move on here. I got a, a quick football. You have any more basketball to get to? I know you wanted to talk a little bit about maybe the Philadelphia 76ers. That was kind well, of an interesting update. Yeah. I mean, th- we, we talked about how Daryl Morey is now with the Sixers. It's a five-year deal. Um, and secretly, um, I guess Elton Brand 
also got an extension. So how's that uh, working? What, what are the two dynamics of those two guys with Philadelphia? Is one more business, one more team, or are they kind of going to be working in conjunction? Yeah, one's president of basketball operations. One is the general manager, which is Elton Brand's general manager. So Daryl Morey um, won't be making the James Harden trade. It'll be Elton. Well, it's probably <laughs> going to be Morey <laughs> from what it sounds like in the rumors. Not, not to go down that road, but you know it. It's it's interesting from, you know, like we said, Daryl Morey and his analytics, what is he going to be able to take with him? What is he going to do? Is he going to uplift that entire team and transform it just as he did in, in Philadelphia? How mm -hmm. much is Elton Brand going to let that happen with what they've already accomplished with, you know, the players that they have there? I don't so know that, if accomplished is be, the right word, but they've certainly right, played basketball. Why, yeah, that's why I sort of hesitated there with that word. But uh, regardless, it, it, it it's going to be interesting. And, you know, we, we talked about with the extreme uh, in, extreme timeline that the NBA is potentially going to go down here. Um, you know, when is that trade deadline going to be? Is, is Maury going to want to make these changes sooner than later? Uh, he's got five years to tinker. But I think I'm nothing sure until up. the deadline, at least, right? You're not going to trade and beat now in, you know, December 15th or whatever it's going to be, don't you think? Yeah, and some of the things that I've read regarding him is don't assume that Simmons or Embiid are going to get moved just because he's there and he didn't well, deal, he didn't want the, the big man in Houston. The reason they didn't want the big man in Houston was because of the makeup that they had with Harden and, you know, bringing in Westbrook and wanting to go that fast pace. Maury may go a different route and see a different set of analytics with the guys that he has. And he says that Simmons and Embiid can play together. It's just a matter of how they're going to uh, facilitate it during the in-game. So it's going to be... Well, we can we can, we can see just how good of a, a basketball mind he is because if he can trade Tobias Harris or Al Horford on those contracts, he's a wizard. Because those guys are loaded in terms of, the, of what's what's left in their contract versus the production they gave in the past couple of years. It's just crazy. It's crazy, those numbers, Scott. So I, I imagine that's what he'd want to do, you know. But does he have a chance to clean that side of it up? You're right. Yeah, He's the guy he who traded Chris Paul on that right. crazy contract. I, so I think he could, I right. think he can trade anybody. Um, I think especially when you have teams that um, – are willing to take on dead cap. So, sure. or take on that cap and uh, uh, because they have the room now with the situation that we're uh, approaching, there's going to be less teams that want to deal with that. So is it like um, a football trade? Would he have, would he be sending like a second round pick with Al Horford or maybe a first round pick to get that contract off of his payroll? Probably. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we, we saw, we saw it with um, uh, what, Carmelo Anthony, yeah, they wanted to dump that and went to Atlanta. You're right. He's done a lot of this already. You're right, man. He has. He he has moved a lot of guys that you wouldn't realize or think of. I mean, you got he moved Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, Clint Capella, um, and obviously Anthony and Capella. You know, they were with Atlanta, so he has some ties with trading assets to Atlanta sure. there. But you know, is, are they as taxes? much as are they taxpayers, Scott? Who's that? Philly, are they definitely taxpayers? Yeah, yeah. right now. And, and 
teams are not going to want to be that taxpayer because of wherever that threshold might be unless they artificially inflate it. So you're going to have a lot of teams that are going to want to jockey to make sure they're below that tax line. But why I bring up more is, you know, don't just assume that because he's there Embiid Simmons are going to go or, you know, both of them, may play well together. He's going to do what he feels necessary and he's going to run his analytics and figure out how that team can play to the best of their ability. We saw it in Houston. I mean, just because they didn't get to the finals doesn't mean that it wasn't a success with what he was able to do with that team. They just weren't able to to finish it off, but they were consistently winners. I think James Harden ever since he's been in Houston every every year they were in the playoffs. They were winning. They uh, so. I just want to say, pump pump the brakes on some of those uh, out there that are saying one of one of them is well, going to be gone. I think but, you're dead right that because of the expedited start, you know, we're we're not going to see a lot of movement at all, you know, in, in for the rest of 2020. But you know, we may be sitting here at the trade deadline at the end of February or, or whenever that is really talking about some significant moves that didn't happen in the off season that normally would have, but will now, right? It, it, it could be a trade deadline. That's even more interesting than ever. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I, and I'm not going to put a, put aside, you know, the signing trades to make sure things are moved sooner than later, because like right now we're projecting that four teams are over the luxury tax right now. Yeah. So those are teams that are the Nets, the Celtics, the 76ers, and the Warriors. And we went down a rant with the Warriors already last last time. But you're, you have teams here that are, are going to want to make some shifts to get down below the tax. Teams aren't going to want to pay. Um, the, the Nets are absolutely they, making a move, whether it's December or February. They're, they're moving some of those, those uh, you know, mid-level pieces to get themselves under. They are, right? You, you would think so. Yeah. They're not going to want to have to pay the tax now and then wherever the cap or luxury tax is going to be next year and subsequently the year after and potentially be repeaters down the line. You have to have some management unless you're a, a win right now and you, you pull something like um, the Lakers did and bring AD and you win the championship and then you're you're dealing with your roster on a year by year basis and bringing in, you know, minimum or exception salaried guys. Scott, when when does the actual CBA expire? Is it after this current season or is it two more seasons then it expires? I think it's after the 2021 season. Let me quickly Google online there. This is good stuff. NBA's current season extends through 2023, 2024 with an opt-out available after 2022, 23. So there's two more seasons. Okay. So I I was wondering if there, if possibly some sort of, you know, lockout slash renegotiation of it could affect repeat taxpayers, you know, if they change the way that the luxury tax system goes. Well, it could if, if, you know, the, if they are force majeure out force majeure happens, you know, and they have to renegotiate because of they realize, maybe there's a realization that there is just no way to recoup what has been lost in the next three years um, based on whatever projections that they're running. And they say, all right, we need to, we need to uh, 
all right, we'll, we'll, we'll do 72 games, but we're going to have to pump the brakes, redo the, the CBA so that the salaries are not out of whack because if, if it's a 109 now and say it only goes up a little bit next year or has to stay at 109 again, you have players that are going to be in 45, $48 million. You, those teams are going to automatically be close to that luxury tax threshold and have to pay an absurd amount of tax. And you, you don't want teams having to do that. Um, so I could see a scenario where force majeure may have to come up and might have to happen because they've realized that there's just no way to recoup the money that they had originally projected um, where the cap may be and now where the salaries are because of players signing these max contracts and the salaries being so absurd that they, they just can't be handled anymore. And keep in mind, they, they removed the amnesty clause in the last CBA. So there is no amnesty clause, which used to be hmm. you can release a player, their cap hit does not count, but you still have to play, pay them their salary. That doesn't exist anymore in the CBA. So Yeah, um, you have to stretch now to save some cap, right? Yeah, well, or, cap immediately, but it stretches out over the course of sure. uh, times two plus one of however many years are left. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to stretch a player with two years left, you're really having to pay that cap over five years as opposed to you know the two years in straight whatever you would be paying. Um, so I could see something happening where they have to force um, – force majeure based on some projections that they may have in the back and says, there's just no way we're going to be able to um, deal with the financial implications over the long term. Now, I don't know if that is where things are going to go. I have not heard that. So I don't want people to run out there and say, oh, this is what Track is saying. <laughs> I, I do not know. I'm just saying there is a scenario that could potentially have them go down that road. And, and keep in mind it, the deadline for that is on Friday. So, Oh yeah. We're going to find out probably in the next couple of hours, what's going to happen with basketball here, but uh, all right, uh, let's switch quickly to football. Our, uh, our fan duel sports book line of the week here, Scott is the NFL team with the worst record for 2020. That's what I want to look about, look at and talk about here. Okay. I don't think it's a big mystery who that team, <laughs> who the favorite team for the worst record is. Can you guess how top of your head? Jets, the Jets, then the Jags, then Giants. the Giants, then your Washington football team, which is surprising, then Dallas, then Houston. There's your top six. Here's what I want to talk about. Because the Jets, the Giants, possibly Washington, definitely Houston, most likely Dallas already have a pretty solid QB1, correct? I know Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold certainly have their question marks and have been, you know, killed on social media the past three, four days, respectively here. But let's just, for, let's just for shits and giggles, Scott, say that Houston loses out and gets the number one pick. Okay. I, I ran some numbers, 15 years of numbers on the team with the worst record, who their starting quarterback was when they got the worst record, 
what happened the next draft, what they did with the number one overall pick in the draft, and then what their what their net what their record was the next season. So that's what you're looking at here in front of you, Scott. Is 15 years of that data, and it shouldn't surprise mm-hmm. you, but it's interesting that teams with a winning record, and there's not many, four I believe, four, four teams with a winning record didn't draft the quarterback. They either kept their current quarterback in two instances or acquired the quarterback somewhere else. The most interesting one was the Dolphins in 2007 who went from Trent Green on the losing season to signing Chad Pennington in free agency and going 11-5. and They went from the worst team in football to 11-5 and by signing Chad Pennington. Okay? The only real clunker here, I mean real clunker, were the Browns who went from Deshaun Kaiser, unbelievably, to drafting Baker Mayfield and going 0-16. And that's kind of where this went. Um, That was also the Osweiler draft pick buyout year where they bought a second-round pick Mm -hmm. to take on Osweiler's contract. So that's kind of relevant to our discussion here. But look... Because I was thinking about this a couple of days ago, and that's what kind of got me down this rabbit hole, Scott, is, boy, th- does Deshaun Watson at some point this year just say, get me the hell out of here? I know you just paid me $25 million in terms of my salary and signing bonus, but even that's not much. I mean, some of these quarterback contracts hand out $80 million in the first year. You know, they kind of extended the cash flow down the, down the road a little bit. Maybe something Bill O'Brien actually did right here, but J.J. Watt's not going to be in for a rebuild. Is Deshaun oh, Watson going to be said, in? Yeah. yeah, he came out and said Why that, would Deshaun what, Watson want to be in a, in a rebuild? Why wouldn't Deshaun Watson want to go to a team that, you know, a better team that just needs a quarterback, right? 49ers, for instance. Why wouldn't he just want to go drop into the 49ers situation if that opportunity was there? So how, how do they do this? How, how does Houston do this if they get the first pick? Because, you know, what are you drafting? You got your left tackle that you paid an absurd amount of money for. You got a couple of middling wide receivers and a running back. You're, you're absolutely releasing David Johnson. So you, you need a third round pick running back. Probably. I, I just think it's going to be really interesting because look, even the team that was supposed to be the worst in football, the, the Carolina Panthers, they already had a freaking quarterback. They signed Bridgewater three for 63 and he's playing some pretty good football. So I, I don't think they're going to be the number one pick, but the conversation was already ha- there to be had before the season started, right? This, this pretty good team, which everybody thinks was going to be pretty bad, might have the number one pick with this generational Trevor Lawrence sitting there to be taken. If it's the Jets, you're probably just taking Trevor Lawrence. If it's the Jaguars, you're taking Trevor Lawrence. I, I don't know. I, I mean, are the Giants just going to punt on Daniel Jones in two years? Is it going to be a Josh Rosen situation? I did a tweet about Dwayne Haskins versus Josh Rosen. Did you see it? No, I didn't. The stats are almost identical. Identical. Mm. Do you know that Arizona got a second and a fifth for Josh Rosen after this season? (laughs) A second and a fifth. So is that what Washington's looking at? Is there going to be somebody sitting there waiting to, you know, are the Steelers going to say, hey, Ben's retiring. We don't, we're obviously the 30th pick. You know, we can't, we can't go and and draft the fourth best quarterback in the draft and hope it works out. We're going to take a flyer on, 
player X, maybe it's Dwayne Haskins, maybe it's Sam Darnold at that point, right? If the Jets get the pick, the, the, the carousel that could happen here because of the wrong team getting the number one pick is going to be so interesting because if the Jets get it, they probably take Lawrence. If the Jaguars get it, they're absolutely taking Lawrence. But Giants, Washington, Dallas, Houston, if that's the number one pick, it, number one, you probably trade out, but wow, right? Does, does Jerry Jones have to think, what do I do here with Dak? Yeah, possibly. Do I let him walk, I mean, get the third-round compensation, and, and draft Trevor Lawrence? I, I just think this these top six teams for the worst record could not be more interesting. Yeah, you're right. And I'm looking at the list here. Wait a second. Four- Wait a second. I completely mistook, spoke about Houston. Houston doesn't even have the first round pick. It's going to be Miami. Oh, Miami's it's right. It's Miami. Ooh, so who's Miami's definitely good. not taking Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> so what are we doing here? Yeah. Deshaun That's Watson's right. not sticking around for this. So Miami's rooting for Houston to keep. Oh my God. They're loving sucking. it. They're loving it. Yeah. You know, what I was going to say is what, what I find interesting is that of the, Worst teams, the ones that had those winning records, they signed somebody, they traded for somebody, or they signed somebody, or they traded the number one, uh, yeah. traded number one pick. Yeah, Tennessee they, traded out. Remember? So um, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting that Tennessee you know, traded always out. going, always going that number one pick is not necessarily no. a path to success whether it's immediately or in the future but it definitely is interesting but doesn't it also say if you if you kind of like your quarterback but you know your team's not there tank doesn't it say that yeah Mariota the the, Mariota led Tennessee team was garbage his first year but they knew they liked him so they you know whatever you know the stars aligned and they became the worst team in the league again and traded it out. That was the Jared Goff situation. Carson Wentz, Jared Goff draft traded out of number one, got a ton back for it, was able to draft, you know, Derrick Henry, all these players and went nine and seven immediately the year after a contender immediately after there's some malice to that. Right. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say you should lose football games, but the numbers don't lie. I mean, we've been talking analytics this entire show. The numbers don't lie. Okay. I mean, the Chiefs were terrible with Matt Castle and Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn was a bust at that point. They went and acquired Alex Smith, another bust from San Francisco. They went 11-5. and five. And then we know what they did again three years later when they had Mahomes lined up. So, And the rest is literal history. So, you know, nobody knows this better than the Chiefs, that the, that the path forward is down, all the way down, right? You get you, because they ended up drafting Eric Fisher, who's still their freaking left tackle right now. Right. Nine years later. Well, and so that was going to be my, you, that was going to be my this point. the right way. And that was going to be my point is you've got to make sure you have those aspects of yeah. your offensive line, your weapons. You need to have all those things already in place so that when you get the quarterback that you think is your future, he can just plug and play and you've already got everything around him. You have an offensive line that's not going to allow your quarterback to get killed. Right. You're going to have weapons that the quarterback can throw to. Mahomes is the, the, the perfect 
scenario. They had their line, they had all of those weapons, and he was able to just step in and, you know, redid his homework and knew that There's was something the quarterback that he wanted. There's something to there's something to the waiting. There's something to that one year apprenticeship. You know, as long as the right quarterback is there, you know, the Alex Smiths, the the you know, I'm not even called Brett Favre the right quarterback. But look, Jared Goff got this treatment too, you know, and I'm not sure he, his coach handled it the right way. But Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl like a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. He did. <laughs> you know, he got that same slow play treatment. There's just something to that. We don't need to rush through these rookie contracts, especially if, and we've talked about it a lot here, Scott, especially if we get to a point where the plan isn't even to pay this quarterback. If the plan is just to go rookie contract, fifth year option, franchise tag, franchise tag, let's do it again with somebody else. If that's the plan, then why are we rushing through the first year salary? You know, I realize the signing bonus just got paid and there's some, you know, there's some tension and anxiety to try to try to feel like you got to, this player's got to give you something back because you just paid him $20 million in signing bonus. But I look, getting all the way down to start over with your quarterback is risky for everything you just said, because you probably just depleted for the most of the other primary positions on your roster to do it. The Jets just did it. The Jets just shed everybody. The Giants shed their entire defense last year and then said to Daniel Jones, hey, go score enough points to win games. Well, guess what? It didn't work. And it's not going to work the rest of the year either. And their division or, couldn't be worse. This is definitely a year where if they had a defense, there. they could probably be competing for this division. But they let their defense walk last year. So you're right. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. I'm never, I'm never going to tell you that the Bengals going down to number one for Burrow is wrong. It's not wrong. What I'm saying is you can be pretty good and throw it in, throw it in for a year and go get a piece or two pieces, right? Like, like what if Dallas gets there? What if Dallas becomes the worst team? But they, they know Dak Prescott's still their guy. It's not about money at that point. There's no, there's no cap conversation to be had at that point because Dallas probably needs a new left tackle or a center or a right guard, whatever it's going to be. They definitely need defensive help. Um, you can keep Dak Prescott. You, you don't have to draft Trevor Lawrence. You can trade that pick for five phenomenal picks to somebody sitting there waiting and say, Dak's our guy. We're going to pay him $200 million and we're going to fill five holes right now and get right back up to the NFC East top. We've seen it happen. Literally, I've got 15 years of evidence that says doing that works if you've got the right team around you. And I think Dallas does. Right now, you know, if you, if you talk about, say the Atlanta Falcons end up there, you know, they could trade out. Yeah. Get an offensive line, shore up your defense. You know, if you got an extra, you get two picks, two first rounders, and a and a second round or whatever haul they could get. Yeah. You have Matt Ryan. You know Matt Ryan is capable with Jones, with Ridley, with yeah. uh, Hurst, with Gurley. You've got all the weapons. So if you are that bad, they can instantly on the fly in a draft draft four or five stud guys that see that seems interesting scott impact. because th- th- there's two ways to look at the falcons number one you could because matt ryan probably is the right quarterback to take lawrence sit him for a year let matt ryan do its thing and then play him so you could have that conversation but you're dead on scott they need to fill eight holes that's that's a right. team that is not ready to win in a lot of spots so you're right trading that pick probably makes the most sense how about miami 
if if Houston gives this pick the, the number one pick to Miami because they're the worst team, my, Miami that, that that's Tennessee all over again. That's Marcus Mariota on Tennessee trading the number one pick and going and filling four holes immediately. Miami can become the AFC East contender right out of the gate after 2021 with, with, by trading that number one pick. So that's what I mean. There's every team that's kind of sitting there, you know, in Miami by default because of Houston by proxy has their own version and story of what could happen with that number one pick. It, it is not a slam dunk that Trevor Lawrence is taking number one is my point. It's not a slam dunk. If, if, if the Miami Dolphins can't find a great trade, they will. But if they can't, they're taking somebody else. Number one, they're doing it. So just something to keep. I know we're halfway through and, and you know, who knows what's going to happen these next eight weeks. But the team sitting there could not be more interesting because of the lack of a need for an immediate quarterback on a lot of them, you know? Yeah, and I'll add this, you know, and I think I brought it up a couple months ago with be picks being protected, you know, yeah. NBA, we see top yeah. three protected, top 10 protected. If, if the Houston Texans would have, or could have said, all right, it goes to Miami, but it's top three protected. Yep. And, you know, we could be talking completely different than what we are now, because if Houston ends up at number one and Miami ends up with that number one pick, and then, I mean, the scenarios are, are endless. And I don't understand why it doesn't happen. Super interesting. Me too. I don't understand. And, and, and it could be just as much as like the NBA does, where if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out and then it conveys to the next year. And so you just move it to the yeah, next yeah, year and, and it becomes a, a second round pick next year, however it works out. Um, I don't understand why it doesn't happen more, but whoever is in the top slot after these next eight weeks, it's going to be extremely Just keep an eye on Houston. interesting. Yeah. Because if Houston and Dallas continue to, to lose we, here, well, Scott, wow. Because you know the Jets are going to win a stupid one. You know? Yeah. And, it, and when that happens, it's going to be a crapshoot. You're right, though. This is... This might be more interesting than watching who's going to win the, you know, have the best record is this race down to the bottom because it's just not a given. I, I think, and there's nothing cooler than seeing the number one pick get traded. It's awesome because the, the compensation is so oh, big. Yeah. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. Even, even going up to number two, you know, those yeah. one and two slots. I mean, we've seen overhauls. I mean, the Griffin trade and, you know, the, the onslaught that they, they got from Washington. The Bears for, for Trubisky. That. You know, that was legendary. Bears for so, you know, if if we end up with that number one pick or they it ends up as Dallas or as Miami, do, do they pay? Uh, in, uh, the NFL is dying number, for it to be Dallas. Could there be an, a better – Six month storyline. Then what the hell does Dallas do with Dak Prescott slash Trevor Lawrence? I mean, it just but are we are, are we at a point where we just assume the number one has to be a quarterback, and because of the rookie compensation scale, I think this year specifically, Scott, because of Trevor Lawrence and how much of a slam dunk people think he is, that it's either you take him or you trade out because you're getting six picks back for him. You know. Mm-hmm. And for a team like Miami or or even Dallas, I mean, even Dallas, to me, Dallas, it's a no-brainer. You sign Dak and you fill six holes right now because you need to. 
and, and you immediately become a contender if you do, if you get half of those right, you know, but that's what it's about. It, it's, it's either you're getting the generational quarterback and you're going to go with it, or you are literally restocking your team with great draft picks. All right. So I'll, I'll finish with this thought. If Dallas is, is trending towards that number one and you're the jets or you're the giants. Yeah. You, you absolutely, if you're the jets, you want to not win a single game for the remainder. Gotta get as close to one as possible. You, you need to be number one because if Dallas or Houston end up in that, or sorry, Miami end up in that number one, just to move up from number two yeah. or number three to get number one is going to be even more. It's going to cost you your next few drafts. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yes. So if you if you are the Jets or you are the Giants, you might as well just say, we need to lose the remainder of the games because we do not want any of those other teams that don't need a quarterback in the number one slot. Otherwise, we're going to have to mortgage our future to get it's a terrible conversation, but because of the six teams that are right now projected to be there, this has to be a conversation in front offices right now. Because you're right, Dallas ain't winning more game, many more games here. I mean, they're going backwards. I don't think Houston's winning many more, many more games either. And you're right, those are the two teams. You know, at the very least, those are the two teams that are going to be trading out most likely. So, uh, my goodness. My goodness. Yeah. Tank for Trevor. All right, Scott, good stuff. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. We'll be back next week. For Scott, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.